Behind the Shades. So this young couple met me at the train at the bus station and they offered me a place to stay. And Adam and Jenny took me back to their house and said, you know, you can stay with us as long as you need to uh, work on getting on your feet. Um, and then we can start talking about rent or you can move, do whatever it is that you need to do. We just want to offer you a place to stay. And what they meant was we're going to offer you this place to stay until we find the highest bidder. Because that's what happened. They sold me to a young man by the name of Esteban, who locked me up for 23 and a half hours with no food, no water, no bathroom facilities. And it was all I could do to keep my sanity for those hours. And I tried to stay awake and I fell asleep at one point. But thankfully, I watched a lot of MacGyver growing up. Richard Dean Anderson is my hero. I've said this a million times and I'll say it a million more. I've written to the man thanking him for having been on that show because it changed my life. And because of Richard Dean Anderson, I was able to get out of that situation and I survived. And it was unbelievable that I survived, but I got out of there and I did not go back for the other people I left behind. And that was the most horrific part for me was that I can still hear them occasionally in my dreams. I can hear them scream out. I can hear one young lady in particular begging for somebody to please help her. Please help me. That was so, awful. Amanda, when you look back on that, because you have a situation where from 18, you said the man was about twice, so you're looking about 36, almost 40. Mm -hmm. You have older, gen, older man after older man after older man that's playing this type of role in your life. And then previous to all these older men, you have your mother and father who are older as well. Yes. Right. So you have a, and I say children, teenagers are so delicate because there's so much going on, right? Six, eight years old, you're, you're vulnerable. But I would say in your teenage years, as you're entering puberty and stuff like that, you're vulnerable in a different way. Mm -hmm. But your adolescent is this, this experience where it's very sexual. It's very over the top to a degree because of everything that you've gone through. And as you mentioned, um, sometimes you didn't know what was going to happen next. Right. I'm when that, when that um, couple took you in, when I hear your story, I'm thinking, Here's a woman who's been through so much and she still had enough faith in the average person that she went with these people and ultimately it turned out the way it did. When you look back and you mentioned you're in a good space today, how long did it take you to overcome maybe any anxiety or any hesitation you had to people, maybe of the older generation or just people in general? It took a long time. Um, there were a lot of events that that happened in my life after that. There were some good people and some bad people that came through it. And I was trafficked one more time. And of everything that I've been through, the man that trafficked me the last time, I knew him for seven years before he trafficked me. So 
the thing about building relationships with people and wanting to build that trust with somebody. I, I really struggled with that. And I still struggle with that. I have very, very limited friends. I trust my husband completely. He's the greatest man I've ever known in my life. And I've got my best friend and that's pretty much it. There's not really a whole lot of other people on the planet that I feel like I can trust completely. And it took a long time to get there too. Not just with being able to trust the people that I do have, but being able to tell myself that it's okay to not trust other people. They haven't proven themselves to me yet. It was, so after Florida, I ended up moving out to California for a little while. And I tried the online dating sites and stuff. You know, that's when they were first starting to gain in some kind of popularity. And I guess it was 2002. I was maybe 2003. I was 23. Uh, so now you can do the math. Now you know how old I am. I'm older than I look. <laughs> but it was probably about 2003. I was on a dating website called hotornot.com. And I met two people at the same time. One of them turned out to later be my ex-husband, um, who was not too far from my age. And the other one was a gentleman in Scotland that was just, oh my gosh, he was gorgeous. <laughs> and he was a police officer. I mean, how cool is that? That this police officer wants to get to know me. You know, he wants to hang out with me. He wants to talk to me. And we started emailing back and forth and we became these lifelong pen pals, we thought. He lived all the way over there and I lived all the way in California. It wasn't feasible for somebody like that to have any kind of a relationship. You know, it didn't make sense for us to even pursue that avenue. So I stayed in California, watched his little girl grow up in pictures and he stayed in Scotland and he watched my life progressing and watched me climb corporate ladders. Um, we watched each other's progress and we were each other's best friends and just for years and years. And he watched my divorces and he sympathized with me when that divorce failed and he had been rooting for me and he wanted me to do well. And later on, I met another cop who was not that much older than me. Um, he was, was, I think Pete was nine years older than me. Anyway, he was older, just not twice my age. <laughs> I was starting to dial it back a little bit by then. <laughs> And he was a highway patrol officer in California. And the guy was fantastic. He was kind and patient and gentle and very sweet, um, very protective. And I liked that about him. But I didn't know myself well enough yet because of everything that I'd been through to be able to talk about what I'd been through. So all he knew was that in some way I was hiding something. In some way I was damaged somehow. And he had no idea how. And I didn't know how to tell him. And that was, I believe, one of the biggest downfalls of our relationship was that I wasn't 100% open with him about all this stuff. I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to tell myself the truth. How am I going to tell the truth to this guy? So when we split up, I found another guy and then another guy and then another guy. And that cycle continued. And finally, Scotland decided he was going to come over and visit me. We'd known each other all these years. He was going to come visit me. And then I was going to go and visit him. And we had these wonderful visits and we absolutely adored each other. And everything was so perfect. And he asked me to get a fiance visa to move over to Scotland and marry him and be with him forever in the land of castles in Scottish Brogue. I mean, what more could somebody ask for, right? This was 
amazing. What a beautiful gift this was going to be. He loved me. He wanted to be with me. He was another cop, just like Pete had been. So he was going to be safe and comforting and protective, just like Pete had been. And I moved over there and we'd known each other for those seven years. And it took him seven days to start trafficking me. It took him less than less than two hours to have my passport, driver's license, my debit card, all that stuff in his possession. And he locked it up in a safe. I had access to nothing. The first seven days were great. He treated me like a princess. You know, that was, that was amazing. I really, I, I loved the treatment I got. I could go anywhere as long as it was with him. I could visit anyone as long as it was his family. Um, I could eat anything I wanted as long as it wasn't going to be too fattening. There were these rules that were already starting to get lined up. And when my body later on through this abuse started rejecting food like red meat, I didn't know I was developing Crohn's disease. And he would focus on mainly feeding me red meat because if I couldn't keep it down, it meant that I would get thinner and I would stay thinner. And that malnourishment, I found out later on, is absolutely a tactic often used in controlling victims of human trafficking. It makes us weaker. We don't have uh, the same visual reference in the mirror, we start to lose our sense of self. We lose our sense of dignity because we're throwing up all the time. We're sick. We're nauseous. It's easier to manipulate somebody who doesn't know who they are. At one point, I ended up with a kidney infection from the abuse that was so bad that I missed the emergency flight that I had managed to uh, pay for from using my debit card after I conned him into giving it to me, paid for this emergency flight to get out of Scotland less than a month after I got there. And I got so sick with that kidney infection, I ended up in the hospital and I missed my flight. Even if I wasn't in the hospital, I wouldn't have been able to make it to the airport. I thought it was gonna die. I was kind of hoping I would. <laughs> I'm gonna go get